Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city of God. It doesn't say up there, it just says the great city, doesn't it? But actually, in the original language, the way it's written is the great city of God, and it's written that way so that Jonah would understand that Nineveh, too, is under God's sovereign authority. But we miss it here in our translation. So that's just for your benefit. So arise, go to Nineveh, the great city of God, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh is an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. As I read these few verses this week, I was reminded that there's a pattern in Scripture that God has with those whom He is interacting with. There's a pattern that is... is as people are gripped by God's forgiveness, as God restores us to Himself, we desire to arise and go. It's a pattern all through. And last week we looked at the sin of Jonah is that he violated God's call or purpose on his life to, to live for God, to follow God, to Jonah go to Nineveh. No, I don't want to go. And we're going to see more later as we go through the rest of this book of why he didn't want to go and how he still doesn't get it, and yet God has forgiven him and forgives him and is going to continue to forgive him and show him grace and mercy, which is such an encouragement to us in our journey too. And so you hear, here you have Jonah, and this morning I want to explore these few verses and show you the pattern, not that just as Jonah, but maybe through Isaiah and Peter and Paul really quickly, that those who experience the forgiveness of God seem to have a similar response they understand that they're restored right back to God himself and they want to please him. So Jonah, here's this man being vomited out on the shore. He has been a rebellious man. God, by his power, has, has not only caused a great storm, but he's hurled him into the sea. And as Jonah is vomited out here, it's the picture of rebirth. <laughs> he's being reborn. He's being renewed. He's being cleansed. It's a picture of baptism. It's a picture of Christ dying, being buried, and rising to newness of life. It's your story. It's my story. The word vomited here is not a pleasant word. It's not like, it's a difficult, it would have been very difficult for the fish to get Jonah out. It was very difficult for God to cleanse you and me. We know that because Christ had to give his life, had to shed his blood for us. But here we have Jonah coming out. He, he's been saved. He's been released from the dead of his rebellion. He's been pardoned. He's been released from the sentence of death. He's been forgiven. Jonah's been delivered back to God so that he can continue on his intended purpose, which is to live for the glory of God and what God has called him to do. He's been reborn by this encounter of God's forgiveness. And here, again, we see that God is acting on the fish and the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish did what the Lord said and vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And here, here Jonah stands. I, I was, 
I always try to get myself into, like, what, would, what was Jonah feeling? <laughs> what did he look like? Right? I asked Micah this morning, like, what do you think he looked like being in the acidic whale of, stomach of a whale or a big fish? Not pretty, right? All his skin was gone. That's what Micah said. Imagination is amazing, right? But here he is. He stands joyfully wearied because he has wrestled with God in death and he stands forgiven. He stands joyfully wearied by his wrestling with God, wrestling with death, and he stands forgiven. He stands once again set apart by God through the deliverance of God himself and God spoke to the fish. And I just wonder, and I just imagine of how tender he felt, how raw he felt from this violent birth back to life. How many times have you experienced that in your own life where you've rebelled against God and God's way of getting you back to Him has not been a simple, easy process. It's been violent at times as we fight and, and kick because he, he loves us and He's going to get us back to where He wants us to be. Jonah's body may have been bleached from stomach acid. I can just imagine he didn't have any Maui Jims or Oakleys, so the sun's really bright, blinding him. You can just imagine how exhausted he is, not only physically, but emotionally. He didn't know if he was going to live or die. And now he says at the end of his prayer, there's this shout of thanksgiving, but, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So there's this joy that Jonah has as he's standing there completely wearied from wrestling with God. And obviously God won. There's a renewal in his sense of purpose. I will, I will do the vows that I vowed to you. He has committed adultery with God. And he begins to praise him. There's a commentator that I've really enjoyed using over this book. His, his name is Hugh Martin. And he writes this of Jonah. For the Lord had been dealing marvelously with him, with Jonah. And his dealings with Jonah were designed as preparations. When the Lord painfully chisels and polishes a living stone, it is for some special place in the temple. When the Lord chisels and polishes a living stone, referring to God's people, it's for some special place in the temple, and it will be seen to have acquired His, God's hand, a special fitness for its place. God is at work in you, and He's at work in me, chiseling, forming us to be those perfect bricks, bricks that fit in the temple, living stones to being built into the temple of the dwelling place of God, as spiritual stones and in the darkness, God has been at work. Sometimes when we're in our darkness, God, where are you? But God is at work. He's chiseling. He's, he's forming. He's carving. He's making Jonah fit for a place in God's story of redemption. That's Jesus. Listen to what it says of Jesus. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by all, for whom and by whom all things exist, referring to Christ, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's why we're not alone in our suffering. 
Jonah is standing on dry land. He's been delivered from God by God, who alone is gracious, merciful, and steadfast in love and relents of disaster. Jonah stands reborn. He's a new creation. He's forgiven. I can just imagine the apprehension that Jonah had. And I think sometimes it's the apprehension that you and I can have. He's just experienced this miraculous saving interaction with the living God who's in and over and through all things. Here he is. He's standing alone. He's not really sure where he's at on the planet. He's on a shore, but he doesn't really know where he's at. There are some speculations of where he would have been vomited out at. And he's wondering, what's next? He's, al- he's alone. What, what's next? How many times have you rebelled against God and you experience His forgiveness and then there's just this silence. Okay, God, what's next? And out of the silence, God speaks to His forgiven prophet. He speaks to him. And we get a glimpse of this greatness and the depth of God's forgiveness. Jonah is not just forgiven and then benched and placed on the sidelines until he learns his lesson. Like we, Jabin and I have been watching a lot of basketball lately as he, he's been on his basketball team and so that's the most important thing in the world right now. Dad, this is who the starting lineup is tonight, Raptors fan. I sure wish so-and-so was on the starting line, you know, and he's making coaching decisions there. But sometimes I think we can fall into this too. We think that, well, we don't really deserve to be put back on the starting line. And yet, how many times in our lives do we find ourselves in a similar situation where we need to be forgiven or we need to forgive someone because we have hurt or someone has hurt us If you are remotely alive and live with someone in close proximity, (laughs) there's going to be plenty of opportunities to forgive. Because things go wrong. We say things that are inappropriate. We, We do things that hurt or we don't do things that we should do. And many times when forgiveness is given or received, it's done, it should be done to restore the separation that's happened in that relationship, yet how many times we forgive and yet don't really seek the restoration because that's much more difficult, isn't it? We forgive and we forget, but forgiveness, the whole purpose of forgiveness is restoration, not only to be healed, but to be brought back together without any barriers. That's a lot more difficult. And yet sometimes we forgive and we just go our separate ways. We ask and give forgiveness because we know that is the right thing to do as a Christian. We have to do that. But yet there still is a a barrier. There's still a separation. And how many times do we find ourselves in the midst of forgiving and being forgiven and yet there's still this sense that things are not as they should be or as they once were? Distance, separation, a wariness, a caution. How much will I let this person back into my life? How much will I, I, I trust that person again? How much am I willing to open up my heart to that person again? 
And here's where we get this amazing picture. When you and I withhold our forgiveness from one another, when we don't bridge the gap, we're standing over and above. It's like looking down from a ladder of our own self-righteousness. And yet the gospel, the good news of God's forgiveness towards us in Christ, it's a forgiveness that God gives us that kicks the ladder out from underneath our feet. Showing us that we ourselves are not worthy of forgiveness. And when that grips us at the core of our being, we are much more willing then to forgive others. To withhold forgiveness, you will find and I will find myself once again in the very first disobedience of Jonah. We violate our God-given purpose. And when we violate our God-given purpose, it brings us down and eventually it crushes us under the weight because we're not being who God has called us to be. That's why forgiveness is really hard. In Ephesians 4.32, this is what I mean by violate your God-given purpose in being a forgiver that leads to restoration. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So forgiveness isn't about this horizontal thing, is it? Forgiveness is a response to how God has forgiven you. And so when we struggle in our forgiveness at this level, it's because we're actually wrestling with the forgiveness at this level. God came to Jonah. He who is rebelled against, he who was ignored, who was sinned against, bridges the gap. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's this amazing interaction here. I just sat there and was thinking of this phrase. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The same thing that he said the first time. Arise, go to Nineveh. It's such an amazing picture of the completeness of what forgiveness looks like and means. And it is the same forgiveness this interaction between God and Jonah, it's so profound, but it's, it's so profound because it's the same forgiveness that you and I receive from God in Christ. We get this glimpse into forgiveness that's life-changing. Then the word of the Lord, that word Lord there, so when Moses came and he was supposed to go to the people of Israel, he says, well, who do I say he's supposed to be? They're not going to listen. Who am I going to say it sent me? Well, tell him what? What do you say? Tell him that who? I am. Well, I am means self-sufficient, self-existent. He who is without beginning and end. He who is holy, holy, holy. Completely set apart and otherworldly. The Lord came to Jonah. How is that possible? How can he who is holy, holy, holy approach Jonah? Because Jonah is forgiven and cleansed. To me, that's, it's amazing. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. The message I tell you. He hasn't been benched. He's not on the second line. He's put right back in the game. He was not forgiven and left to figure it out, but forgiven and restored right back to his God-given purpose. That's powerful. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God came to Jonah and initiated and restored and bridged the gap to show that Jonah was truly forgiven. Think about, G, or about Peter. Peter's denied Jesus three times. 
He was really confident in himself, wasn't he? He had a real sense of self-sufficiency. God, I would, I'll, everyone else might deny you, but not me. He put his faith in his own self-sufficiency, and what happens? He denies Jesus three times. He's the guy who said, I'll never die, deny you. In fact, I'll die for you. Denies Jesus three times. And as Jesus looked to Peter that night after the third time and the rooster crowed, Peter is crushed and, and humbled. And then what do we see that the Lord does to Peter? Well, on the, the shore as Peter went back to his old way of living, fishing, Jesus comes to him on the shore. He doesn't really recognize him first. And then we know that he does and he jumps out of the boat, right? Jesus makes him breakfast. God makes Peter breakfast. Feeds him. And then he asks Peter to go for a walk on the beach. And we read about that walk in John 21. When they'd finished breakfast, the word of the Lord came to Peter. Jesus asked, said, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Probably referring to the fish. Because that was his old identity that he went back to. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, he, and Jesus said to him, well, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he, because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And what did Peter do? He followed Jesus, not getting it all perfect, but he followed Jesus his whole life and eventually died for Jesus. Because the forgiveness and restoration of God changes our course of direction just like it did to Jonah. Or what about Paul the Pharisee who's persecuting Christians in the name of God and then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus? Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has this interaction with Jesus himself and experiences the forgiveness and restoration and call of God on his life. And Paul is, is restored. He's, he's put right into a, a new purpose to live for Jesus. And he too would die as he was living out his little place in the story of God's redemption. And that's why Psalm 103, that, 103, 8 to 12 that I read earlier, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what Jonah knew God to be. That's what all God's people know God to be. 
He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Then Jesus came to Peter. Then Jesus came to Paul. And that coming shows that there's no longer a barrier, that they're completely forgiven. And it changes the course of their lives. It changes the course of your life and my life when that grips us. And it continues to change the course of our life. (laughs) Because His forgiveness and restoration is something that He will always do. He will always be faithful. And that's the beauty and the impact of His grace and mercy and love on the undeserving. It leads to course correction. It leads that we would live according to the purpose that He's given us. Jonah arose, got up, and started walking the direction that God had called him to. The prodigal son, Jonah, has been welcomed home by his father, not to be a slave, but to be completely restored to his sonship. In fact, he's been given a robe. Do you remember that the father gave him a robe? Do you know whose robe that was? It was the elder brother's robe. The right to that robe belonged to the elder brother. Do you realize that our elder brother is Christ? And the Father gives us the robe of Christ, His righteousness? To show that we're not slaves, but we're sons and daughters? That there's no barrier any longer? We've been restored completely and fully? We've been forgiven. What what lavishness has been placed on us in restoring us fully, forgiving us completely, And it changed the course of Jonah's life, it changed the course of the prodigal son's life, and it changes your and my course. And we get up and we go to Nineveh, whatever that Nineveh is. It's the same love that changed the course of Isaiah's life. Isaiah, you remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6 where he sees Christ exalted. The angels are worshiping him. And this wrecks Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 6, 5 to 8, And I said, as he saw this holy God, he says, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And in the Old Testament, anything that touched the altar was made holy. So here you see the, the God instructing his angel, take the coal and touch my servant. And behold, as this touched his lips, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for, you're forgiven. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, it says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What was Isaiah's response to this forgiveness and restoration? Here I am, send me. And if you read the next little bit of that, it's not a great call. 
You're going to go and you're going to tell the people they're not going to listen to you, and I'm basically going to destroy them all, but I'll keep a few people. It was such a discouraging life for Isaiah, but he did it. Why? Because he experienced the forgiveness and the restoration of God. The loving forgiveness of God changed the course of Peter's life from fishing to feeding sheep, where he would lay down his life for the shepherd, Paul's life from persecutor for joy to joyful sufferer. In fact, Paul would say in Acts 20, 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How different than our world, eh? How can he make that statement? Because he'd been forgiven and he'd been restored and that restoration and that forgiveness had moved him to testify. In 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What you're hearing today, what we're talking about today, the angels who are sitting around the throne of God who are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They long to understand what you have experienced through Christ in grace, mercy, and love. Just think about that. Why? Because they've never experienced it. They've never experienced that aspect of God who they serve day and night. We're told in Ephesians that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Those words have perplexed me forever because it's implying that God, before he created the world, had a plan to save, redeem, adopt, be gracious, merciful, and loving through the person and the work of Christ. That means that God also knew that there would be sin. There would be a need for forgiveness. Not in a general sense, but He knew your sin and my sin, and He made a plan so that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. How does God see you this morning? It's perfect. You know what that's like when the week we had in our home as parents? Or for some of you with your thought lives? Like God sees you as Perfect. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where where there is forgiveness of these of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Those are words of complete Restoration. God's heart is completely open to us. And there's nothing that you do that changes his disposition towards you. 
the angels long to understand this. They, they don't know it. They, they long to understand what we've been freely given in Christ. They long to understand why we worship Jesus for his grace, mercy, and forgiveness because they have never experienced it. There is now nothing that separates you and I from God. We are perfected for all time, completely forgiven. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there's no longer any offering for sin. You are completely restored and free to be who your gracious, merciful, loving Father has made and called you to be. You've been restored to your God and given meaningful purpose to your life. And that purpose is to always live to the praise of His glorious grace in all that you do. That's why I think Paul said, shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, of course not. But without sin, we wouldn't know the grace, mercy, and love of God. Why would God allow sin? Because God wants to be praised for all of who He is. And so forgiveness is a recognition that there's sin. But it's also a declaration that there is a God who is gracious, merciful, loving, and compassionate, and kind. The reason for this is to the praise of His glorious grace. Our sin, our forgiveness, our redemption is meant to show how great God is. But grace would never be understood. Mercy would never be comprehended or really known. The steadfast love of a pursuing, faithful, restoring God for His people, who, who well, He's faithful and we're unfaithful, would never be understood without sin. The holiness of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the redemption and adoption of God is magnified in the undeserving people of God who understand and believe that they've been forgiven and restored to the praise of His glorious grace through Christ alone. Forgiveness is worship. Asking for forgiveness is worship. These things... All these things give meaning to the struggles that we have in life, that forgiveness has meaning. It takes on a completely new meaning because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God who forgives and comes near and restores. The conflicts that we experience as children of God who believe there's forgiveness are not obstacles. but They're opportunities to step into our God-given purpose and testify to the good news of the gospel of grace and forgiveness. So what does it mean for you this morning? Yeah, I believe that. Is that that where it ends? No, it can't end there. It didn't end there with any of these other people either. It took them in a direction. Well, what is that direction? What does it mean for us? What does God's forgiveness look like lived out in your life and in my life? What is Christian forgiveness? How is it different than the world's idea of forgiveness? Well, Christian forgiveness, as the root of that word Christian, is is about Christ. It's not about man, it's about Christ. But first of all, we need to recognize that Christian forgiveness is hard. It's hard, it's gut-wrenching, it's agonizing at times. 
That word agonizing is, is kind of the root word for to be crucified. And, and we know that, that forgiveness is hard because it cost Christ his life as he agonized on the, cro- agonized on the cross for our sake. So it's, it's not something to take lightly and that just, oh yeah, I can forgive. No, it's hard because the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world through the shedding of his blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness, remission of sin. So Christian forgiveness is Christ-centered forgiveness. And it's, it's our calling to tell that greatest story ever that men and women Children, doesn't matter who you are, color or anything, that you can be forgiven and restored back to God. Oh, how our country needs this. I was so sad this week to just see all the power plays and all these different things. And the only thing that will be unity is Christ. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, you've been forgiven. You are forgiven. And you've been restored fully and completely back to God. That's why we can approach the throne with confidence to receive, to receive grace and mercy in time of need because there is no longer a barrier. The veil in the temple to the Holy of Holies has been forever torn in the flesh of Christ. And the way has been opened to us and it will never be shut for He is faithful. So therefore, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. To withhold forgiveness means that you and I have not fully grasped the forgiveness that we've received from God through Christ. It's not a people problem. It's a relationship with God problem. It means that the forgiveness that we say we believe in has not gone deep enough. It hasn't gone to the inner being of who we are. Because when it does, we will freely forgive. And that forgiveness seeks to bridge the gap and restore the relationship as far as it depends on you or me. Now, one of the things that I've noticed in the world's forgiveness is it remains centered on man. And I, and I hear this often. We're encouraged to forgive so that we can be free from the person who has hurt us. In other words, if you don't forgive them, they will continue to have power over you. Your life will be constantly thinking of them. So you need to forgive and release that. Now, there is some truth to that. Don't get me wrong. But the problem is, is it stays focused on you or me. In Christian forgiveness, we forgive not to be free, but because we are free. And you've been restored back to God completely, so you, have, you don't have to fear rejection. Christian forgiveness flows, and as a response to the forgiveness and restoration that we've already been given in Christ, 
And we extend that because we have others, we desire others to experience and have that same interaction with God. Christian forgiveness always has Christ mindfully at the center. And yet there's another side of forgiving, which is asking for forgiveness. <laughs> we hurt each other at times with our words and our actions, and it shouldn't be surprising, because we're not perfect. And when we hurt each other at times, or sometimes, sometimes we're aware that we've hurt others, and sometimes we're not. And we need a brother or sister or someone to come and remind us and tell us, you know what you done, what you did really hurt me. But the purpose of pointing that out is not for a sense of self righteousness. It's for an opportunity to experience great, to celebrate grace, mercy, and the steadfast love of God towards us in Christ. It's very different. And when you and I have been made aware of it by the Spirit or by someone expressing how the, you have impacted another's life, how do you respond? What, how do I respond in light of being forgiven and restored to God through Christ? Well, sometimes, instead of admitting and confessing it, I'll deny it. By denying it, I just move myself out of the situation or away from it so I don't have to deal with it. I avoid that person or person's or I just ask, oh, their fault, they're the one who did it, they're out of line, whatever. And, and as, through the years, I've noticed that lots of times, even someone's perception of me hurting them, even though I don't believe I ever did, I still need to go and ask for forgiveness. Because I would desire them to be restored to me and to God. What keeps me from that is my arrogance and my pride, Right? But forgiveness is a big deal. It's really important because Jesus shed his blood to secure it for you and I. And so we should be people who have a posture who, who move towards forgiveness and res- restoration and reconciliation. This is the posture of humility that those who by faith who have freely received the forgiveness of God to them in Christ have. That's the posture that we're admitting that you and I are are a people in need of daily, the daily forgiveness of God. 70 times 7. Well, I'd see more like 70 million times 7 for me. And he just keeps forgiving, and he keeps forgiving, and he keeps forgiving, and he keeps forgiving, and his heart's open wide. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To ask for forgiveness, it will cost you. You will have to lay down your pride And take up humility. But in doing that, that is also a testimony that God is at work in your life, in my life. And then it gives you and I an opportunity to receive the forgiveness of God together, afresh to be reminded of it as we interact in brothers and as sisters who have been forgiven in the name of Christ. It's beautiful. Well, what if they won't forgive me? Well, you are freely forgiven by Christ. And you still get to express and testify to the humility and the need for it. And that it can be received from Christ. So it's never, it's not, never a loss. <laughs> because remember, it's not about whether someone receives it or anything. It's not about that. It's about your relationship with Jesus. The give and take of forgiveness among God's people tells the amazing story of life-changing redemption 
of God's forgiveness and restoration, not only to each other, but also to those who are watching. They will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And so this morning, I ask you to do the same thing that Jonah did. Arise. Go. Forgive. Maybe this morning, God has brought someone to your mind as you've been hearing this. Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought a certain person to your mind that you need to forgive because, well, maybe because they hurt you, or maybe, and and you find yourself unwilling. Maybe this morning you have forgiven someone, but now you're unwilling to open up your heart to them, and you're keeping yourself at a distance, avoiding them. And the restoration has not followed that forgiveness. Go to them. Open up your heart. Maybe this morning you know that you've hurt someone and need to ask for forgiveness. Humble yourself and take an opportunity to express and live out your Christian faith and the forgiveness that you celebrate in Christ. This morning we too come to an altar, to the table of the Lord, and it's a reminder that we too have been cleansed like Isaiah was, a coal, but rather it was the blood of Christ and in Matthew 5.23 it said, So if you, you are offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Let a person examine themselves then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, communion is a celebration of forgive, forgive, forgiveness, right? And so to not to not be forgiving and knowing there's areas in your life where you need to forgive. He says, go, go get that right first before you celebrate the forgiveness. It, it, it's quite logical. And in that, this, you are telling the story of God that you're celebrating at the table. There's a consistency. And it pleases God. Because communion is where we celebrate God's forgiveness to us in Christ. Through the shedding of his blood, we've been brought near. And so we come to celebrate forgiveness. And so we mustn't have an unwillingness or a need to forgive and deny that, for that dishonors Christ who has freely forgiven us. But there's good news because even that stubbornness is forgiven by God. (laughs) I have watched many of you live this out in front of me in the way that you forgive those closest to you or even forgive me. And it reminds me of the forgiveness of a father who's forgiven me everything and perfected me once for all through the blood and the work of Christ on the cross. So my prayer is that we would just embrace forgiveness much more in our lives because of the forgiveness that we've received by our father and the restoration of that, the openness of his heart towards us. So that's my prayer for you and it's my prayer for me and this week I've been having to live that and practice it and it's been really hard Um, but it's been really good for our family and I'm sure that next week there'll be many more opportunities or even this afternoon. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your forgiveness.
that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to shed your blood and give us your robe that we might be perfected once for all time, clothed in your righteousness, holy and blameless. God, would you soften our hearts? Would you open up our hearts to those that we keep at a distance in response to you? And we do this because we want to be able to tell your story of redemption with our lives. So Jesus, we ask that you would reveal as we come to the table this morning that you would, by the power of your spirit, reveal to us this amazing forgiveness that is so rich and free. We've been sprinkled and covered by your blood and spared the wrath of God. And not only that, we've been brought near to God himself, right into the Holy of Holies, never to be removed. So I pray for us today that if we are in areas of sin that we would surrender them and confess them and receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that you give us by the power of your spirit in transforming us. God, we want to live for you. Help us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus and for his glory and for the sake of the gospel of Christ that we're to tell with our lives. Amen.